seated. I like that song. Thanks, guys. That's a, that's a good song. Uh, revival to our city. Deal. Wonderful thing to pray about. Um, my dad uh, was a Vietnam War veteran, and uh, he passed away three years ago this week. And uh, at the time of his passing, uh, he had received uh, from the VA Association uh, 100% disability rating service connected. So uh, connected to his service, uh, he had lifelong mental health issues, uh, lifelong physical issues uh, that were uh, related uh, to his service to this country. My, my dad had a complicated relationship to Veterans Day. Um, because he was in this kind of ugly time that some of you were in, in in this nation where he was both drafted, forced to go to war, and came back unappreciated. <laughs> and so his generation did that uh, and chose to treat that war that they disagreed with that way. Um, and so he was forced to go and then unappreciated when he came back. And, and one of the things that I love about some of the Veterans Day salutes that I see in the NFL and around the country. Some of them is I feel like, and maybe this is just the pastor in me speaking, but I feel like there's a little bit of repentance behind it. And, and I think this Veterans Day, that's not a bad thing for us to feel, is that in our very recent history, we totally screwed this up, <laughs> our relationship to veterans. Um, and uh, I, I think we've come a long way but a lot of you have read the same studies that I have read about the suicide rate within the veteran community. Uh, and so we wanna be aware of that and be praying for our veterans to find health and healing and wholeness as well. So I, I always feel like there's a little bit of repentance behind it. And I think it is a valuable thing uh, that our nation has learned appreciation for the veteran community. And I would just say, may we never lose our way again. And may we never treat our fellow citizens that way again. Um, that being said, I think we've learned our lesson in appreciation for veterans. We are learning our way toward mental health help for veterans, physical health for veterans. We are making our way toward that. Where I don't think we've learned our lesson, if, if you'll allow me just for a minute, uh, in, in this regard, is how we speak to and about people we disagree with. Because that, that, was the, that was the Vietnam era thing, that a lot of people disagreed with the war, and we just lost our way on how we speak to each other and how we speak about each other. And so we are learning to appreciate veterans more and more, and you see all of the, the holiday weekend stuff that has happened to show our veterans that we uh, appreciate them. But I do think just in terms of our fellow men, if we take a departure from Veterans Day just for a moment, we can learn a lot in this area about how we speak to and about one another. Um, and, and so some of it's not honestly that different than Vietnam era stuff that you read about. I mean, it is some different, but some of it's pretty similar in the way that we verbally attack one another, condemn one another, call each other names. And so we have a lot to learn in, in, that, area, in, in that area. So um, if you are a veteran, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to you. We know 
we know that what we are experiencing right now in this room is something a lot of Christians and other nations couldn't even dream about. To have signage and a website of inviting people to come, they are meeting in secret. And, and we know that is because of the service of our veterans, the service of our active military uh, that are, have done a great job of, of keeping us free. And so pray for a veteran. If, if you have a veteran in your life, seek out how they're doing and what's going on with them, uh, both physically and, and in terms of their mental health. And then here's the other thing I would ask. Be nicer to people, right? That's one of the Vietnam-era lessons that we've learned, is when you disagree with someone politically, when you disagree with someone on the other side, when you're in disagreement with someone in general, this is a very simple thing to say. Be nice. Be nice. This is your fellow man. God created them. Jesus died for them. Be nice, right? Um, and, and so that, that's a lesson that we are still learning from Vietnam-era veterans. And I know there's a lot of other eras of, of here, but I wanted to address that because uh, this is the anniversary of my dad's death this week, and he's been on my mind. So I wanted to speak about that just for a moment and just say to our veterans, thank you. We appreciate you. We love you. Uh, we're praying for you. If you ever need help, please do not hesitate to call your church. Your church would love to help you and get you connected to services. This is something we care about. So let's pray. All right. Lord, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. And we do want to spend a moment and uh, just pray for our veterans, uh, people that have uh, given a, a, a portion of their life uh, to service and sacrifice. Uh, I want to pray that they would be healthy and whole. Um, we see the studies of some of the, the crises in that community of mental health um, and, and just physical health deterioration. And so, um, and I've seen it with my own eyes, uh, visiting my dad uh, at his nursing home. I, I've seen the Im impact. So um, we want to pray for them and their families. We want to thank them for their service. And we want to thank you for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you uh, as we're, we, we've got like just one week left of this Ephesians series after today, but uh, I find customer service culture fascinating. Um, how is it that by and large, and last time I used an illustration like this, someone actually met me in the hallway and told me about their terrible experience, but I, I'm just disregarding that right now. How is it that you can walk into a Chick-fil-A literally anywhere in the country and be greeted with the same quality service. The smile, I mean, we all know it's Jesus chicken. That is definitely part of it. <laughs> but how on earth have they been able to have this culture uh, embedded into their business? It is fascinating to me as someone that, you know, we want our church to have a certain culture too. I want our family to have a certain culture. I, I believe in, in culture setting, but it's just fascinating to me how in, in another, in, in the opposite direction, you can go to other restaurants that shall not be named, and you can go into that same restaurant anywhere in the country, and you're going to get the same bad service, right? It's like, how is every worker in this, across the nation, grumpy that works for this organization? Uh, you'd think you'd just, by happenstance, find a happy one sometime, but, right, by and large, that has to do with culture, and, and some companies are really good at building a great culture, and some are, are not. And, and the truth is, the business you work for has a culture, right? Some of you are, you know what that culture is, and you're already dreading going back tomorrow, right, on Monday morning. So your business has a culture, 
Marriages over time develop a culture. Families develop a culture. Churches develop a culture. Cities develop a culture. States develop a culture. And nations develop a culture. And so this is a very real thing that that we're talking about today. And the question that I want to ask as we get started from Ephesians 5 and 6 is what kind of culture do you want? Now, I don't think that's a very fair question in some regards because you are not 100% responsible for the culture of your company, obviously. You're not 100% responsible for the culture of your marriage. And that, the you know the percentages increase a little bit to 50%, but you're not 100% responsible. You're not 100% responsible for the culture of your family or your church or your city or your state or your nation. You are not 100% responsible, but you are 100% responsible for the culture you contribute to, for the culture you bring to your marriage. You are 100% responsible for that. For the culture that you arrive to at work tomorrow, you are 100% responsible for you and for the culture that you bring to your family, your city, your state, and your nation. And so we've been in this series, like I said, in the book of Ephesians, just one more week left. And what Paul has been kind of embedding in us as we've gone through is this idea of gospel culture or Jesus culture, a Christ-centered culture that we bring to a lot of different, a lot of different things. I, I wanna, he sets the kind of bedrock for this, the, the initial kind of layer of this, way back in Ephesians 1 when he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And this this is where Paul starts Ephesians, way back, you know, 10 weeks ago when we started this, that because of Christ, we are holy. Because of Christ, we are blameless. We are sons and daughters. We receive grace and redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These huge ideas shared in Ephesians 1. And Paul goes on after Ephesians 1 to say, because you believe this, because you have internalized this, because this is your new identity, your behavior changes, uh, your, your choices change, your attitude changes, and your life changes. So Paul, we spoke on this about a year ago, a a, a little bit of this text, not the whole thing, but Paul now is going to move from behavior to relationships. And he's just kind of been working his way through for several chapters now on because of Christ, because you're sons and daughters, because you're adopted, because you're forgiven, because you're under grace. These are the things that change. And now he's going to move into relationships, that our relationships, because we bring a Jesus culture to our relationships. He's going to talk a wide variety of relationships here. Because we bring a Jesus culture to our relationships, they are different. Right? Here's how he starts in 21 of chapter 5. Submit to one another then, and notice you can kind of underline some of these phrases. 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands and everything. A lot of people don't even want to preach on this text once in a lifetime, let alone twice in one year, right? But it is important to note that what Paul teaches here is that submission is for everyone. Sometimes it is a part of the gospel culture we bring to our marriages and our relationships in general. Submission is for everyone. Sometimes we read verse 22 and we get stuck there. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I've even seen a few poor, unfortunate souls quote this verse to their spouse. Like, dude, you're dead, right? Trying to get them to do what they wanted them to do. And you know, the scripture says, well, so, you know, don't, don't do that. Read the whole text. We are to submit to one another. Can I share another example of this? That um, kind of a leading scholar kind of quoted this verse recently. Um, and a lot of times it is men quoting verses about women. But he quoted 1 Timothy 2. And he says, all I'm, this theological scholar said, all I'm saying is, what the Bible says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. And he quotes this verse. He seemed to really love this verse. And he forgets what verse 1 of the very chapter he was quoting, what verse 1 says. I urge you then, first of all, that prayers and petitions, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and, peace, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So you quote one verse says wives really ought to practice quiet submission. And you forget that verse 1 says all people should practice quiet. Wouldn't the world be an amazing place if we all practiced a little more quiet? Says the guy with the microphone, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah so, but it, it's true, right? That the world would be a better place if we just all followed this 1 Timothy and this Ephesians passage of practicing quiet practicing peace, practicing being slow to speak, practicing quiet. Submission is for everyone. It is a Jesus trait. It's a gospel trait that we see in him. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that he submitted to the governing authorities. He submitted to the Father, and because he did, we have the opportunity to know him and worship him and follow God. Amazing things happen when we submit. Now, we have a caricature we talked about this a little over a year ago too, but we have this caricature in our culture of what submission looks like. This is why when I read Paul's text, and 1 Timothy 2 is even a little bit worse, if I'm being honest, in terms of the cringe factor in our culture, because we have a caricature of what submission looks like, but it's not what Paul was talking about in, in the New Testament. We, we, we have this kind of thing of what we, we, we believe that it is, and a lot of us think that submission is forced. Now, submission is never forced. Forced submission is called subjugation. Forced submission is abuse. Forced submission is not of God, right? We think that submission is a statement of lesser value, but that's not submission either. A statement of lesser value is subservience. 
Have you ever been around someone that treated someone that was serving them as less than? Now that's cringeworthy, right? When, when you're at a restaurant and all of a sudden someone's treating the wait staff like, like they think they're less than, you're just like rolling your eyes or it's so cringy to see someone mistreat a waiter or a waitress. It is an ugly quality. Jesus will actually turn this on its head, even this subservience argument Uh, he'll turn it on his head when he says, if anything, submission and service is actually a statement of greater value. He says this in Matthew 20. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So biblical submission is not a statement of lesser value. It's just not what it is. Submission is not an abandonment of freedom of thought or expression. Some people think that when they submit, it's like, well, now I'm saying, now it robs me of my ability to have an opinion. And that's not what submission is. In addition to that, I would say healthy families have a robust dialogue of freedom of thought and expression. They have healthy dialogue about people's opinions, that everyone gets to express their opinion. So that's not what submission is. We have a very healthy family. (laughs) Everybody has an opinion at the Higgs household. Every single person. And they are very strong opinions. So that's not what submission is either. It's not like I never get to have a thought or an opinion anymore. Submission is the joyful and voluntary laying down of one's will for the good of another. That's what biblical submission is. It's not subservience. It's certainly not subjugation. It's not losing your identity and never having a thought again. It's not any of that. It is the voluntary and willing laying down of one's will for the good of another. And can I tell you something? It is a culture changer. You want to change the culture of your family? Men and women, practice submission, self-sacrifice, and service. You want to change the culture of your work environment tomorrow? On a dime you want to change it? Practice submission. You want to change the culture of this nation? Practice submission. It truly changes things. It It is a game changer. Paul goes on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing by the washing, <coughs> cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as his own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ says to the church, another gospel statement, for we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, love is obviously, Paul says, a gospel-centered activity. It is what we bring to change the culture of a marriage or a family or a church or our city, or our state, or our nation. Love is the tool God gives us. Now, obviously, this is directed at husbands, but if you study the scriptures, every member of the family is really commanded to behave in a loving way. 
So husbands should love their wives, wives should love their husbands, children should love their parents, and vice versa. But the scripture will go so far as to say, if you're thinking, all right, I accept all that, I gotta love all the members of my family, what are the categories of person that the Bible would say, you're off the hook? I didn't mean them, right? I I didn't mean them. You, you, You love your wife, you love your husband, whatever, not them right? They're, 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 you're off the hook with them. Just so the Bible makes it totally clear, the Bible will go on to say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So love is an all play. There is no person that God's like, they are awful. Do whatever, right? Right? There is no, yeah, I agree. God says they're awful. You know, whatever. There is no person in that category. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But that being said, this does seem kind of directed at husbands that you are tasked to make sure this happens in your marriage and in your family by setting a loving example. And what's so interesting about it to me as a husband and as a father is that that's not typically the role we see dads playing in our culture, in a traditional family setting. That in a traditional family setting, a lot of times moms are the ones who exhibit love. When a child falls, they don't come running to me, I can tell you that, right? Not if, Cheryl, if Cheryl's gone, they do. But if Cheryl's there, it's a no-brainer. When they need a hug, when they wake up in the middle of the night, often, not always, often it is mom filling that role. And the reason is, is that we have love in a box. And that box is called nurturing. That's all that we think love is, is nurturing. She's way better at nurturing than I am. She, she is, and, and you can say that's a maternal sense, but I bet if we were to go around this room, more importantly, if we went over to Kids Zone and we asked your kids, right, who is better at nurturing love, mom or dad? A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times, the kids are going to answer mom, but that's not the only thing love looks like. So as I was writing this sermon and kind of reading through my notes a little bit, uh, I got a phone call at work. And uh, it was Cheryl, and she called, and something was up, because she was kind of talking a mile a minute, if I'm being honest, and she said, what are, you, are, are you busy right now? I was like, no, I'm not particularly busy. She said, can you come home? And I said, yeah, I can come home. What's going on? And she said, there's a bat in the basement. <laughs> and I was like, a bat in the basement in November? Just kind of weird for, for us. Our bats like to come in in June. Um, <laughs> we have a bat net. This happens a lot at our house. So... Uh, so he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come home. And I drove over there and uh, went downstairs. And as I was going downstairs, I kind of hear my kids and Cheryl, for that matter, kind of following me down. Like, they're behind me, right? If someone's getting rabies, it's dead, right? Um, <laughs> right? And they're following behind me. And he's just in the corner. This bat's just kind of quietly sleeping in the corner on this drape that we have down there. And I totally understand why Cheryl was freaked out because she, she had been down there doing laundry. She'd been folding laundry and she was getting ready to leave and she looked up and saw the bat then. And she, she had been right in front of her the whole time. She just didn't see it. And so, yeah, it, 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 that would alarm me too. Um, we've had bats in our house. I am not proud of my manliness. I, <laughs> I'm ashamed, actually, of the way I have handled this. But we're used to them now. So I get the bat net, right? And I go and I kind of get, um, get the bat into the net, put the top on the net so the bat can't get out. And uh, as I'm doing it, like the kids start cheering for me. 
We're like, yay, daddy. Thank you, daddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it, it was actually somewhat meaningful to me that I wonder if those moments are another way to think about love, guys. When you show bravery, when you work hard around your house, even when you discipline your kids, when you're leading them, when you're setting a good example. Maybe this is a more, I, I hate to do gender separation, but maybe this is a more masculine way that love doesn't just have to be nurturing. Right? We have that in a box. And as a matter of fact, God says, man, husbands, if you will lead the way on this and you will lead the way of love your way, do, do it your manly way. I'm like, yeah, I am brave. I am provider, right? I will take the bat outside family, right? Watch me do this, right? Um, your, your way, but you are exhibiting love in your way. And it's so interesting to me that Paul tasks you with this. Because I would assume for Paul, the easier thing would be to say, you know, he, when he had said, wives, submit to your husbands. Also, wives, would you just show the guy, would you do the love thing too? They're not good at it. You know, whatever, right? You could almost expect Paul to do that. But he doesn't do that. He says, no, guys, your way, yes, as a man, but you lead the way in love. And he even gives us the examples of Christ. Sacrificial, on mission, on, on a mission, sacrificing, laying down his life. And every guy in the room is like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, now we're talking. Hugging, band-aids, boo-hoo, sad. No, no, no. Mission, right? Leading, being in charge, right? Yeah, yeah. Those are, he says, you lead the way of love and you will, you will see your family and your marriage change because it is a culture-shifting attribute. Children, obey your parents for the Lord, for this is Right? Honor your father. <laughs> My kids are in kids' zone. Um, we might watch when we get home, but uh, watch the stream later. Yeah. Um, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. And there's not a parent that hasn't laid a card like that down. Obey me. Why? So you'll live a long life. Because it's starting to look pretty short here in the near future, right? Obedience is a response to the gospel. And as Christians, we understand the power of it because of the Christian story, that this is our right and good response to our God. We obey him. We understand honor because it's what we are called to do as Christ followers. We honor God. It's what we do. So honor and obedience are easy for us to understand as Christians, but just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's easy to do. It is easy to understand because obedience and honor are embedded, but obedience is just hard for us. This has shifted a little bit, uh, but Scott will tell you, like, any time that like, we've preached, a couple times we've talked about this uh, as a team, like on um, submitting or obedience, or you, woo, woo, you can just feel the tension going up because we don't like those words. We don't like to obey. And kids in particular, I know that you can sometimes feel like you are, you are powerless in your family to change the culture. You are not. You are not powerless. You can submit, you can love, and you can obey. And I think every parent in this room right now would agree with me that a child that obeys may be one, one of the biggest game changers in a family. As a matter of fact, I think every parent in this room has probably uttered these words before. Just do 
what I'm asking you to do. For the love of the Trinity, please. (laughs) It is a game changer. So kids, you are not powerless at all. Uh, You actually have a great deal of power in terms of your obedience and your submission that you are bringing to the family. So there are three arguments that Paul makes if you're still not convinced, and I would guess you're not. Um, First argument one, it's right. So there are these times in a family where an argument goes sideways, tensions rise, voices rise, and all of a sudden you say something that you didn't mean to say it that harshly. It came out angry. No, not just me, right? Don't leave me hanging, right? Every family has experiences where all of a sudden you're just saying things that you wish you hadn't said. And the Bible gives us a tool for dealing with this uh, called repentance. And on the other side of it, the Bible gives us a tool for dealing with this on the offended party, which is called grace. But every family has experienced this. Oh, that was harsher than I meant. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean it. My words got ahead of my brain. Whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm sorry. So the Bible gives us tools to deal with when that happens. But Paul's point is obedience will never require that of you. Obedience will never lead you to that feeling. Obedience will never lead you down that path. It's right. And so obedience will never cause you to go to bed at night and say, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. That was a huge mistake. Obedience doesn't play that game. Rebellion plays that game. Obedience doesn't play that game. It is right. It is honoring. This was a high honor culture that Paul was speaking into, that really saw as a culture to honor the older members of the family. We live in a youth culture that tends to honor youth over age, and you and I probably would share some feelings about whether or not that's a good thing, but honor is a really good thing in a family setting. And I'm telling you, one of the best ways uh, you can change the culture of your family is with honor, respect, and showing that, showing that to your mom and dad, uh, and even as older adults, showing that to the members of your family, just honor to whom honor is due, respect. And then he says, it's better for you. That this is just an under-talked-about virtue in terms of living a successful life, that if you want to live a robust life spiritually, obey the teachings of Jesus. You want a work life that thrives? Obey your boss. You want a family that's at peace? Obey your parents. Our culture talks a lot about hard work and integrity and even luck, but we don't talk a lot about this. But obedience, submission, and self-sacrifice are game changers in a family, in a work environment, uh, in a city, in a state, and in in a nation. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, This is very convicting to me that he contrasts exact because I'm generation... X, and I really can get my sarcasm on um, at any given moment, honestly, but he contrasts exasperating our children with the idea of bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And it's really a question for fathers about what kind of culture do you want to bring. So there is a way to encourage obedience. You can get obedience and have the child end up uh, angry and exasperated and frustrated, but you you get what you want, and you can uh, get ahead of your anger. You can threaten things. There is a way to get obedience, and I find that I, I exasperate my children when I get sideways on my anger. 
and my frustration. I get sarcastic, upset, and it leads to a huge blow-up. And there is a way, Paul says, to encourage obedience that highlights this bigger thing that you're doing, pointing them to Jesus. Uh, it, It is tying the action that you want to their faith in Christ. So it's saying, it's not just that I want you to do this. Christ wants you to do this. The Bible teaches this is what is right. And so it's getting away from the anger, away from the exasperation, Lord help me, away from the sarcasm, right? It's getting away from all that and just tying it to spiritual lessons of what God wants for our family, what God wants for them individually, what God wants for us as a city, as a nation, whatever. This is what God wants for us, so this is why we should obey. And when we can dial back the emotion, uh, he uh, points it to fathers for a reason, but could just as easily go to moms. Uh, But fathers, we, we struggle with this, I think. When we can divorce ourselves from the anger and have a less confrontive conversation, it usually goes better, right? Uh, Two more, right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with the sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Again, another gospel thing. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are a slave or free. So he is addressing slaves, uh, but in our current environment, he could be talking about those of us that work for someone. And what he says is interesting. The culture shifter that you can bring is obey, <coughs> obey your earthly master just as you obey Christ. And so here's his argument. You are serving the Lord. Now I get ADM signs your check. Caterpillar signs your check. The school district signs your check. (coughs) Excuse me. But you are a servant of Christ. And that changes the way you work. And it changes the attitude with which you work. So lazy, rebellious, unwilling to go beyond. It is not a good representation of Christ and his glory is our highest priority. He says, being a diligent worker will result in two things. Your boss will see you and you'll win favor. Now you haven't met my boss. He's talking hypothetically, right? Your boss will see you, you'll win their favor, but even more important than that, God will see you and you'll win his favor. Right? So even if you have a knucklehead boss and you're like, I have been working my backside off, he, I never earn his favor or her favor. They never reward. I, I, it's just a brick wall, even if that is your case. He says, no, right, I get that. Some bosses are really bad. They haven't read Ephesians 5 and 6. God will see you. God sees you. He sees you. And you'll win his favor. I could preach a whole sermon on, what, on all the good things that happen through diligence. As a, as a spiritual attribute, as a gospel attribute, because Jesus was diligent in his work. Uh, but that's not what this sermon is about. But we are blessed uh, at work. Uh, we, we are blessed to be able to work, uh, and we are blessed by God when we do that work with diligence. Uh, sometimes our bosses will reward. Some of you have bosses like that, some of you don't. But either way, God sees and he blesses. Last one. And masters, treat your slaves the same way Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours, 
you guys have the same boss, is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Here's the loose translation. God doesn't care that your boss is the boss. (laughs) You have to care to keep your job. God, in terms of blessing, God, in terms of judgment, God, in terms of keeping things in check, God didn't care who was boss and who was employee. He's God. He is the boss, right? So bosses, you are not off the hook. You too, he says, are a servant of Jesus. So leading through fear, leading through anger, it's just not the way you were taught in the gospel of how Jesus led, so we lead like him. Let me close with this. We, and by we, I mean me too, we complain a lot as Christians about secular culture. Me too. And I think we complain because we wonder, what can we do? We see, we see the direction culture is going, and we feel powerless to address it. And we are. And so we see culture, and we're like, what can we do? And this is what we can do. We are not in control of how culture reacts. We are in control of the culture we bring. So we can bring a different culture. We can bring a gospel culture to our marriage. You cannot control what your spouse says. You can only control what you do. We can bring a gospel culture to our family. You cannot control what your kids do. You can only control what you do. We can bring a gospel culture to our work. We can bring a gospel culture to our city to our state, and to our nation. What we can do is what we can do, right? And we can't change our world. Everybody has their own free will just like we do. But what we can do is we can be transformed by the work of Jesus. We can be empowered by his Holy Spirit. And we can bring a different culture to every environment we work and play in. We can bring a different culture. And I just wonder what would happen if followers of Jesus in mass did that. Like, hey, I know you're a jerk, but the gospel culture I'm bringing this Monday morning is love, right? I don't respect you at all, but the gospel culture I'm bringing today is obedience. I don't really like you that much, but the gospel culture I'm bringing is submission. It is grace. It is forgiveness. It is freedom. And this is what I am bringing to the table. You do you, but this is what I am bringing to the table. I wonder if we started doing that in mass, what would happen if our world wouldn't change? Because there are a whole lot of people that say that they are followers of Jesus. And if we all said, I am going to be changed and transformed by his gospel, and I'm going to bring that gospel culture to every place I work and play, it would make a difference. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel of grace. And uh, as we're talking through the relationships that would have hit on every single person in this room in subcapacity, uh, I just want to pray that we would bring a sense of gospel culture to these areas. I want to pray for the marriages in this room. I want to pray for the families in this room. I want to pray for the workers in this room. I want to pray for the bosses in this room. I want to pray for the citizens in this room. It is easy to get pulled in to negative culture. 
When somebody is angry or abusive or out of control or just not kind, it is easy to get pulled into that and to become that ourselves. May it not be so of us because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So I just want to pray that we would approach marriage differently and family and work and citizenship. We would approach it differently because of you and because of your gospel of good news. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We're going to receive communion right now and it's an opportunity for us to focus on that gospel of good news. Uh, and, and, and I know we're going to leave here and we're all going to go uh, and kind of live our lives and uh, work and play and do all that stuff this week. And I just want us to remember this gospel and maybe, just maybe because of it, we'll approach those relationships in a different, totally countercultural way. So they're going to pass them out in just a minute. You can hold the two cups. One has some bread. It represents Jesus' body given for you. The other has some juice that represents his blood given for you. And you can just thank him for what he's done Thank him for his grace and ask him to help you bring gospel culture to every place that you go this week. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Lord, it's such a little thing that we do in this moment, a little piece of bread, a little bit of juice, but the message is real big and it is life-changing and it is culture-changing. And so I just want to pray for us as we leave this room that we would not just believe this, although that's part of it, but we would be transformed by it. And we would bring these gospel cultural truths into every setting we go. That we would resist the temptation to be pulled in to another way of thinking but we would stand firm to, to what we have received and taught, been taught in you and received from you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Man, I gotta tell you, I remember at the very beginning of this series, this series was gonna be like 12 weeks, it's like at the end of this series, it's, thanks, it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, just so you know, and I cannot believe next Sunday's the last week of this series. Uh, so that means we'll be talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, all very, very soon. So. Uh, it is amazing to me that the 12 weeks have just kind of flown by. Um, we are going to be uh, hitting on the last text of, the, of, of Ephesians 6, uh, the full armor of God. And whenever I preach on a text, one of the first things I go is I pull up any notes from anything that I've done before and just say, you know, what have I said about this before? And I was really surprised because of how well known this text is that I've, I've never preached on this text before, uh, Ephesians 6. Uh, it's not in any note that I have anywhere. So uh, that was kind of surprising me. So I'm looking forward to our time next Sunday uh, as we realize that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities of this dark age. So go ahead and stand up. We're going to close with one last song. If you have a question or a prayer request, our elders are going to be in the overflow right after church. They would love to meet with you and talk with you and pray with you. Uh, and we will see you all next Sunday. God bless.